to Maritime AgCast, the podcast dedicated to the farmers and the farm community of the Maritimes. We will discuss all things related to the livestock industry with local, regional and national guests, as well as keep you up to date with current markets and industry events. Today, we will be joined by Dean Manning, Willie Burstig, and Jonathan Wirt to discuss community pastures in Nova Scotia. Dean operates Manning Family Farm with his wife, Catherine, and two children, Kayleen and Andrew, in Falmouth, Nova Scotia. The mixed farm operation consists of 80 head of cow-calf, along with greenhouse and market garden vegetables. Dean is on the Nova Scotia Cattle Producer Board, is the Maritime Representative on the Beef Cattle Research Council, and is Chair of the Maritime Beef Council. Willie has extensive experience in Nova Scotia agriculture industry, having owned and op operated Barney Brook Farms Limited, which is a dairy farm for more than 27 years in Harvard Lands, Nova Scotia. He is a corporate and community leader and has held several leadership roles, including municipal councilor, president of the Nova Scotia Federation of Agriculture and director of the Canadian Federation of Agriculture. He has extensive background in the community as well as on local boards. Willie is the vice chair of the Agri-Commodity Management Association and sits on the Provincial Farm Practices Review Board. His interest as a director has been in the areas of audit and governance. And while growing his portfolio, his current business focus is around real estate development and senior housing. Willie believes that the Nova Scotia Farm Loan Board is critically important to the improvement and development of agriculture, fostering greater food sustainability and growing the economy of Nova Scotia. Jonathan is the manager of livestock and field crops at Prenia. He has extensive knowledge in ruminant production and management. In addition, he has experience on policy and regulation related to livestock, both provincially and nationally. With over 25 years of experience as a commercial farmer, raising sheep and beef and delivering custom farm service, Jonathan brings practical experience with his current extension responsibilities. As producer, Jonathan has experience in the importation and marketing of livestock's genetics. So Jonathan, Willie, Dean, thanks very much for being with us today to talk about community pastures and their importance here in Nova Scotia and the other parts of the Maritimes as well. So maybe Willie, we'll start with you. Can you give us a bit of a really quick history around community pastures in Nova Scotia? Uh, and I don't expect you to go all the way back to the 1950s to today, but maybe why they were established and how they're established. I will go back a ways because uh, my own personal involvement would have been through my family back in the, back in 1960 when my, when my parents bought the farm after they emigrated from the Netherlands in 52. And I can't say for 100% for sure so much the rationale about what got them started and what the actual processes were around getting them started. There was some visioning going on and, and there was a need seen to be able to, to grow grow the industry in Nova Scotia, cattle industry, and and not just the beef industry, it was the dairy industry too at the time, although dairy doesn't use it to a large extent today. But uh, our own personal experience was is that, you know, we, we bought a small farm in Hardwood Lands and uh, there was uh, a few cows that weren't milking very much and there was a bit of land that wasn't very productive at the time. And this was a really quick and easy way to be able to to grow our herd and grow uh, grow our young cattle specifically by by putting cattle out on a community pasture and and I think our reasons for using the pasture at that time were exactly why the pastures are there today. It gives producers a, a real opportunity to uh, lighten the load a little bit in terms of cattle on the farm at home and being able to produce more feed to put in storage and 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 grow your herd. So. That's what they were designed for. That's what they're doing today. And, and hopefully we're going to do it 
more and better going in the future. Definitely, that's my understanding of community postures is to be able to assist in, you know, with newer farmers or farms that are looking to expand that may not have the land base to have access to that pasture land so they can put up stored feed at home. Jonathan, maybe a, a question for you, and uh, this is more related to our overall grass advantage here in our region is, yeah, how productive are community pastures compared to uh, maybe home pastures or privately owned pastures as far as being able to pasture large groups of cattle? It's a tough question to answer, Brad, but, you know, I think that, uh, you know, the, the people that are managing the community pastures have a, have a pretty good handle on what their carrying capacity is. And within their resources, they do the very best they can to grow as much grass and, and match the, the number of cattle to that grass production. So I think in, in a lot of cases, to be honest with you, you know, the community pastures probably are providing better grass resources through the season than, than some of our pastures uh, across the province, in particular, the ones that aren't very well managed on, on home farms. And I think that relates back to one of your points that, that you made about why the community pasture system was established in the first place is basically it was you know partially intended to give people the opportunity to take some pressure off their own land and uh, maybe do some improvements to that land while those cattle were on community pastures. Traditionally, the government invested a lot of money into improving the community pastures. And uh, since they were turned over to co-op management in the early 2000s, I think you know, the co-ops have done an exceptionally good job of trying to continue that process within the resources that they've had, recognizing there were some pretty significant challenges, not the least of which was BSE, which really put a, some pressure on them as operating entities in the beef industry. But I think they've overcome that and, you know, the recent announcement and investment by the, the province and the farm loan board in the pastures is going to be an ex- significant assistance to them improving things. Dean, maybe we'll, we'll go over to you. I know that uh, you have a, a background in both extension and, and farming. What, what's your perspective on community pastures and how they help folks like you or maybe the next generation of Kayleen and Andrew as they're looking to uh, take over or build the farm operation? Yeah, there's a um, good question on that. And, good, and I guess where it comes from on a producer standpoint is it kind of eases up a little bit of pressure, like when you want to do this expansion or if you've got some you know, land that you want to turn over and improve, need access. And I know, you know in our area down in Annapolis Valley here, it's a little tougher to invest some pasture land. It's uh, fairly competitive for land. See it as an opportunity to, that's one point, but the second point is new entrants or younger producers, you know, the, the capital infrastructure to purchase land if it's available, as opposed to using the pasture for a few years to get yourself established and get yourself in base. So the, in the extension part of it, there's some good things that can come of it because you know, there's breeding pastures up there. There's uh, heifer development pastures. So it kind of gives you an opportunity to maybe use some genetics. Maybe you couldn't purchase as a new entrant or something you wanted to try. And as well as, you know, the fact that you can develop some, some heifers or away from your main herd as well. You, you bring up a great point there, Dean. And it's something we talk about at the farm organization level all the time is, you know, demonstration sites and bringing people together to see things, to talk to one another, uh, learning from one another. And I think often maybe the community pastures 
aren't one of those places where we look for the discussion you just had around genetics. We look more at, you know, fencing trials and types of grazing trials and productivity, but there are lots of other non-forage or non-pasture-based things we learn from bringing those folks together. Well, for, for me and for, I, I've always found that the more people who can get together in, in a setting or, or even just a, a field day or a tour and, and community pastures are a great spot to do those, the more we can learn. You know, the genetic component is there because they're using you know, good herd sires or bulls to get those calves from. And, and from that, kind of do some extra trial work and research work on, say, you know, dry matter intake and pasture management. And then, and then the, on the other side, on the other end of it, it's your feeder calf development, whether it's uh, through the vaccination programs that uh, like as the animals go on on community pasture and things like that. So the more you know, the more you know. And I think that's a good good component of the community pastures. They're, uh, they're a vehicle that uh, can make that happen. So I'm going to roll back to, to Willie a little bit on the next part too. So we have several community pastures in Nova Scotia. Can you give me a bit of an idea of exactly how many we have and the total acreages uh, that those represent, just kind of in round numbers? There's half a dozen of them, Brad. They're spread from the western Nova Scotia. Most of them are in eastern Nova Scotia and Cape Breton. As far as actual number of acres, it's all outlined in the report. I know there's some fairly large pastures. Minuti would be over a couple thousand acres, and uh, some of the smaller ones uh, are down around a couple hundred acres, and they all have their, their own capacities available, and they're generally located where the cattle cattle are so uh, with the exception of the valley probably use some more capacity there for for folks like Dean but there's a fair bit of capacity there and there's a fair bit of unutilized capacity as well so uh, one of the one of the messages I would like to get out today is that uh, you know if you ever thought that this is something you'd like to do and an opportunity you'd like to take advantage of for your operation is that there is capacity there to handle more animals. And really that's that's part of the, the vision and the, and the renewal process that we're, we're hoping to achieve is to get to more cattle on pasture so that we can leverage it and, and, and cause growth and, and greater profitability for the industry. So numbers aside, there's lots of capacity there and there's lots of room for, for your cattle. You know, talk to your, your local pasture co-op, and if they don't have room, uh, it, it can be easily identified where there is room, and it's a resource there that's available. Thanks, Willie. I'm going to be going to step back a little bit here, and I think it's uh, something that either Willie or Jonathan said early on about, uh, you know, originally the pastures were established in the 50s and 60s. Uh, they were managed by the provincial government up until about the early 2000s. Uh, they transitioned over to locally led community pasture boards at that time. So I, I guess my, my question here is, you know, are all the pastures now led by community groups or pasture groups? How are they managed? Are they met? Are they jointly managed collaboratively, cooperatively? So, so what does that look like? The pastures are managed by each, each one that has their own uh, cooperative that, that manages the pasture and there's, and really, each one is responsible for their own management in terms of, of how they get things done. Some some folks use, uh, in fact, there's a lot of volunteer work done in terms of 
donating your time and equipment and talents towards fencing and, and getting adequate watering facilities set up, there, that's, that's a fair bit of what takes place. In some cases, the work is hired out and the uh, patrons of the pasture pay for it through their, uh, through their fees and their dues to the co-op. So really each one is an entity unto themselves. Uh, some co-ops are, have more members than others, the same as all other co-ops, I guess. And you know, some would have as few as uh, a couple members and then there can be dozens of members in, in other cases. So uh, each one really is governed on its own. Prior to the transformation that we're hoping to see through this, this initiative of creating a new vision and oversight model for continuing pastures is that, you know, we, we ha now have an umbrella organization through the, the Community Pastures Action Committee and we're, we're administering a, a funding program. Part of that is, is providing, you know, greater communications and building more capacity. There's a, there's a whole list of, of changes that we want to see and help with governance. I mean, the question was around governance and, and that is part of the process going forward too. And in a lot of ways, I think the pasture committees, they've done a lot with the resources they've had as meager as the resources have been. Really, we want to uh, grow that and we want to grow their capacity and, and create some more interconnectivity between them so that one pasture can learn from another and perhaps create some group buying activities and, and coordinating some of the stuff that really the pasture committees, the local co-ops have been left kind of on their own to do and, and just try to help make it easier and facilitate growth. Here are upcoming events brought to you by Dalhousie University Faculty of Agriculture. Dalhousie's Faculty of Agriculture is educating the next generation of farmers. Our students learn to solve real-world problems in a friendly, hands-on environment from professors who are leaders in their fields of study. Dal researchers have access to cutting-edge technology, labs, and resources. Whether it's applying genetics to improve livestock, working with producers to engineer more efficient blueberry harvesters, or designing smarter Christmas trees, Dal Agriculture is driving the innovation that makes our farming community stronger. Learn more. Visit dal.ca slash agriculture. In upcoming events, Perennia is hosting a compost and cover crops tailgate meeting on July 11th from 1 to 3 p.m. in Byers Corner, Nova Scotia. For additional information or to register, please visit perennia.ca. The Maritime Beef Council will be hosting their annual forage field day on August 3rd at the Nepan Research Farm and are also preparing for the upcoming Maritime Beef Conference in October from the 21st to 22nd in Moncton, New Brunswick. Please visit maritimebeef.ca for more information on either of these events. Feeder sales will occur on a regular schedule once a month during the summer. The next one is July 14th at 10 a.m. Please check atlanticstockyards.com for a full schedule and booking information. In programs, the Nova Scotia cattle producers have two programs available for 2022, the Nova Scotia Genetic Improvement Program and the Nova Scotia Soil Pasture and Forage Management Program. Both programs have application deadlines of June 30th and November 30th. Additional information can be found at nscattle.ca. There are many programs available in Nova Scotia for 2022, such as the Cattle and Chief Industry Development Program and the Wildlife Mitigation Program. For a complete list of programs, as well as applications and guidelines, please visit novascotia.ca forward slash programs. You know, when I was fortunate enough to be one of the interviewees and 
when uh, the report was being written in both community pastures. And I think that's one of the things I noted too, is I think individually, all the pastures are doing a pretty good job. Um, but I definitely think that there are things that some do better than others, you know, the same as any business, but being in the same stream of business, there's definitely things they can learn from one another. One of the other big things I think that has been a challenge or has been identified by the industry is access to pastures and knowing that one might be fully booked for a year, but is there capacity or is there a room at another one? You know, so is centralized booking somewhere where you can go in the future to make sure that everybody has access? Sure, it might not be at your preferred pasture, but at least you're getting in versus being told, you know what, unfortunately, we're fully booked this year. And then just not knowing where those empty spaces are. Absolutely. And, you know, that's one of the gaps that needs to be filled. But uh, I guess I'll uh, hold up the excuse card at this point in time is because <laughs> we're just getting the program out and running. And really, we, we were challenged this year just to get to get leases signed and get people uh get the program rolled out so that we can get the improvements happening. I, I think we're reasonably confident that there's going to be at least a bit of funding for the next year or two going forward so we can work on some of those bigger picture items. But, uh, you know, it, as always, building fertility levels, there's there's some definite immediate needs that need to be uh, met. And uh, I think we were successful this year in getting, getting the program rolled out and we're going to address some of those needs immediately but there are other things and there's lots of work to be done and, and really I, I hope it's more than just a, a two or three year program i hope it's a perpetual program that where we can we can build these pastures into something that's the envy of the rest of the country definitely and i'm going to go back to dean here just a second uh, as well so the maritime beef council uh, has developed a regional development and expansion strategy and early on community pastures were identified as a key piece of regional infrastructure to help sustain the development and expansion of the beef herd in the region. From a farmer perspective and as chair of the Maritime Beef Council, what does the recent announcement and, and thrust forward by the Nova Scotia government uh, to improve pastures mean for the overall success of that strategy? Well, I think it's a, it's a good step. As I mentioned before, in order to grow your herd sometimes, there's, there's, a, there's a couple of steps that have to happen. And one of the limitations typically would be your land base. So if the community pastures, like I see as a, as, as a longer term vision, so that new entrants can move their animals to community pastures, it'll help that capacity to grow the herd in the Maritimes because the efficiencies are there too when you you can manage the larger pastures, right? Your bull to heifer ratio or your bull to cow ratio, things along that line. The other thing that, you know, hasn't been mentioned too is, you know, this environmental sustainable goods in terms of what grass provides and carbon sequestration. And, you know, that's that's something that's a, a big part of community pastures that, you know, we're not even talking about yet, but it, it's doing its part in environmental services as well. So from a Maritime Beef Council standpoint, we feel this is a very positive step to, uh, to develop in the beef herd here in the Maritimes. And, you know, that process where we can maybe down the road even coordinate overflow to other pastures that are underutilized, as well as even, uh, you know, perhaps thinking ahead a little bit is some, you know, perhaps maybe even a, a trucking assistance like the limestone assistance so that, you know, we can kind of distribute it evenly right across the province. That's an interesting approach, Dean, and I'm just, I pulled up a map here, and uh, as Willie said, there, there are 
pastures across the province. The, the majority of them are in Eastern Nova. And you look at the, the high concentration of livestock and, and cattle in your area, kind of between Berwick and Windsor, and then through the, the 102 corridor, uh, bringing us all the way into Truro, and then up the 104 corridor uh, in Cumberland County. There's a lot of pastures that are close, but there is a little bit of trucking to get to some of those Eastern Nova Scotia ones. So I think that innovative approach to coordinated pasture allocation, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, getting cattle to where there's space and, and getting them trucked with rising costs is maybe the next step uh, for program number two. So Willie, maybe your pasture action uh, committee can keep that in mind for next year when you're thinking about uh, your programming. Uh, certainly that's been discussed around the table a number of times and and with increasing input prices and particularly fuel prices it's uh, it's seen as something that uh, it seems to be floating fairly high to the top uh, that's not a commitment uh, at this point in time to have a trucking program but it's certainly seen as one of the gaps and uh, if that's really and truly if, if that's what it takes to to increase uptake and increase product productivity then uh, it's our job to have a look at it, see if we can't make it happen. So I'm going to go back to the expansion a little bit while we're talking a little bit about geography. And again, it goes to cattle populations and pasture location. We've identified those both. And Willie, I think you said too that, you know, it'd be nice if it would be good if there were more pastures through the Annapolis Valley. When I look at the map, we've got Digby and we've got Cape John, and there's an awful lot of cattle and livestock between those two with not a lot of pasture access. Just wondering if there's any comment you can make about development of additional pasture somewhere through Central Nova, Muscadabit Valley, Hance County, that might alleviate some of those pressure on those Eastern ones or increase capacity across the province. From my time on, on the Farm Loan Board and, and recent time on this Community Pasture Action Committee, the way that we have been able to grow the community pastures is, is through investments from the province, basically at the suggestion of the Farm Loan Board. And, and we've recently done that in Cape John, and it's a, been a fairly well publicized event that we've been able to add to that pasture. We've been able to add to uh, a pasture in Cape Breton where we've been actually able to buy back some of the land that was sold off over the years from the pasture. The Farm Loan Board certainly looks at all these opportunities and, you know, there's, there are times when land does become available and, uh, and when the board feels it's appropriate, it has been taken to the, the deputy minister's level for discussion. As you can well appreciate, land in the Annapolis Valley and up through the corridor and, and further east and, uh, and west along the one, that 104 corridor, the land in the valley and, and certainly in central Nova Scotia doesn't stay for sale for very long. And uh, lots of times you don't know that it was for sale until you hear that somebody else bought it. But, but having said that, there you know opportunities do arise where property comes available. And if it's seen as feasible, I really have to commend our provincial government. They've shown uh, great fortitude and uh, just very recently made a very significant investment. And, uh, I think if the right conditions existed, we would, uh, we would certainly have a look at it and, and see if we can't, uh, can't grow that. Sometimes the board is in a position where, where that might be the best outcome for a particular piece of property. I'm gonna switch back a little bit to the kind of day-to-day -day operations of the pasture and, and knowing that a lot of them are volunteer led and 
A few of them do have uh, either herds people or a hired person that takes care of them on a daily basis. And I know, Jonathan, yeah, early on in your involvement with Perennian and some of the work that was done with Cape John around 2010, 11, 12 in that area, in advancing that pasture, uh, can you talk about some of those extension things and some of that long-term planning and visioning and how important that is to the overall success of pastures? So I guess the, the program that we embarked on with Cape John, we started in the fall of 2010 and we worked through until 2016, was based on implementing more intensive rotational grazing and rotational grazing management practices. We also looked at the impact of um, improved fertility, also you know, whether or not we could make an impact by doing no-till seeding of improved species into the pastures, sods. And we were able to demonstrate significant improvements in, in the productivity of the pasture by doing relatively simple things and you know changing the management uh, style. It would uh, be nice to see these things implemented on a larger scale. And I think one of the opportunities that's presented by the current uh, program that the Farm Loan Board is making available to the pastures is that, you know, they, they can, uh, can implement uh, some of these ideas because they'll have the financial resources to do it. I think the biggest thing that we saw out of that Cape John project is that we had very uh, significant interest from producers in general. You know, we had uh, annual field days over that process of time and you know, the, the Cape John membership is probably about 25 to 30 producers and those workshops probably typically attracted probably between 50 and 100 people. So, I mean, the extension outreach of that project was very significant. And we also attracted people from outside the province. So these pastures give us an opportunity to, to do extension work that we wouldn't necessarily be able to do. And the other thing is, uh, I think Dean mentioned earlier in the conversation that bringing people together as part of a community pasture group gives them an opportunity to talk about their individual management practices and they can see other people's cattle and there's no better way of kind of encouraging people to, to change their practices and improve their management for them to actually see the impact of what their neighbors are doing and I think that's a huge opportunity with the community pasture. Far too often I think farmers kind of live in isolation and don't see what other people are doing. Participating in a community pasture definitely gives the opportunity to get out of your own little world and see what other people are doing. I, I think that's part of it too. And being involved through the Maritime Beef Council and some of the regional initiatives, um, we see that that Cape John pasture particularly has been become a bit of an example for the work that they're doing in New Brunswick and PEI in the development and expansion improvement of of their pastures as well. And I think, again, that goes back to some of the hard work, dedication and commitment by the provincial government, the community pastures and Prenia to do that work and be that example over time. And I think it's also really important to acknowledge the work that all of the pasture committees have made. You know, they've all made contributions to their own pasture in their own way within their own resources. And, you know, I think that the one thing that came out of the community pasture report and being part of the development of that report was the amazing level of dedication that uh, the pasture committees had to their, their pastures and the interest they, they had in trying to improve them. You know, that's led, I believe, in 
large extent to the success of the community pasture program. Certainly wanting to uh, just echo those comments from Jonathan. I, really, that's that's the foundation. You know, the, the land is there, but the land isn't worth a damn without the, the people and the commitment from the members of the co-ops and the, and the users of the pasture. And really, that's what all this is trying to build on. It's just trying to, to assist moving things along, but realizing and understanding that that base is where it all came from. And uh, if we don't have that, we really, the, the land is kind of useless without that uh, human capital. Here's the Market Report brought to you by Atlantic Stockyards Limited. Atlantic Stockyards Limited has been Atlantic Canada's major livestock market for over 60 years. The stockyards attract buyers regionally as well as extending into central Canada. Livestock auctions occur every Thursday with cattle, sheep, goats, hogs, rabbits and poultry all featured. Additional information such as previous market reports, feeder sale dates and vaccination forms can be found on AtlanticStockyards.com. For the week ended June 17th, 2022, in the local hog market, base price in Nova Scotia was $2.54 per kilogram, up 4.5 cents from last week. And Ontario base price was up 4.5 cents from last week to $2.45 per kilogram. In the Quebec market, base price was $2.11 per kilogram, up one cent from last week. On the cattle side, fed cattle price at Atlantic Beef Products was $3.13 on the rail, an increase of 10 cents from the previous week. In Ontario, live steer sold for $1.92, moving up five cents from last week. And the Quebec rail price was $3.15, up four cents from last week. Call Catalanic Stockyards sold for $0.98, cents, a downward change of $0.17 cents from last week, while rail price Atlantic beef products was $2 per pound, up five cents from last week. Calls in Ontario averaged $1.05, up three cents from the prior week, and $0.99 cents in Quebec, moving up three cents. Good dairy bob calves between 90 and 120 pounds Atlantic Stockyards averaged $76, down $17. And good dairy beef bob calves averaged $293, down $26 from last week. Meanwhile, calves in Ontario were up $0.03 cents a pound, and calves in Quebec were down $0.04 cents a pound. Base price for lambs at Northumberland remains at $15, and mutton sits at $6.50 per kilogram. 50 to 64 pound lambs at Atlantic Stockyards averaged 256 per pound at 59 pounds, ranging from $1.75 to $3. In Ontario, 50 to 64 pound lambs averaged 299 per pound at 57 pounds, ranging from 237 to 350. For 65 to 79 pound lambs at Atlantic Stockyards, they averaged 268 at 73 pounds, ranging from $1.45 to $3. In Ontario, 65 to 79 pound lambs averaged 314.5 per pound at 72 pounds ranging from $1.62 to $3.72.5. Use in Ontario averaged $1.50 at 140 pounds and ranged from 80 cents to 2.32. Make sure you check the association websites for additional pricing information. Definitely, and I, I think that's one of the things we often forget is how important it and, and some of the history, like some of the, the herds people and some of those committee people have been around almost since individual pastures were established and just their knowledge of the land and how it reacts to certain weather conditions is invaluable sometimes. No, you're absolutely correct. And uh, that, that corporate knowledge that oftentimes resides, perhaps unfortunately, with, with, a, with a single pasture and their activities and, and, and hence the comments that have been made about getting people together and exposing 
pasture co-ops to other pasture co-ops and finding out about best practices and finding out about what what works and what doesn't work is so so important and uh, anybody in the industry can tell you about the value of extension and really that that's what extension is is when you can get folks together and build on that that knowledge i mean we, we've got great people that that help out the industry but that corporate knowledge of of experience of well what works here is uh, is oftentimes no better understood than than by the people that are running those pastures. Definitely. So I'm just gonna again circle back to something Dean had mentioned, and that's around the environmental benefit and environmental good that community pastures and pasture land in general uh, provide to society. And um, you know we've got a couple of programs that we're will be launching shortly, hopefully here in Nova Scotia and, and across the country. And uh, the first one is Living Labs, and I think in Nova Scotia, you know, maybe the community pastures won't be as directly involved with some of the projects there, uh, but there's definitely an interesting approach to land swapping and, and integrating more pastures into annual field crop. Uh, but then the other one that I think is kind of important and I think very well um, set up for community pastures, uh, whether they're private or board-based or public, is the on-farm climate action fund program. And Jonathan, I know you folks at Prenny are, are set up to deliver that program here in Nova Scotia and Newfoundland. Just wondering if you can provide just a really quick overview of what that program is uh, and how it might work, knowing that we're gonna talk a little bit more in depth over time and, and get more in-depth information on that program. Yes, so, I mean, the off-calf program is, is going to be delivered in Nova Scotia through Perennia and also in Newfoundland. Um, there's three main components in that, or there's three components in the program. There's nitrogen management, cover cropping, and uh, rotational grazing. So, obviously, the rotational grazing uh, component could have uh, a, the biggest impact on uh, the community pastures. There'll be funding available for both education and uh, improvements in terms of structure and an investment in capital, uh, both for the farms and potentially community pastures could also access that. So, you know, in terms of improving and developing rotational grazing plans and, and then implementing them through putting in the required infrastructure is something that could be, money could be accessed through the off-calf program, both on community pastures and private farms. And then there's another component of that farm to improve the species uh, mix in the sod on these rotational grazed pastures. So, you know, there's the opportunity to look at uh, probably no-tilling, you know, more legumes into the pasture uh, sod to improve its quality. And then, you know, with improved grass quality or forage quality, you get greater efficiency of the cattle and, and reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So... All of those things are things that could have a big impact on community pastures and, and the opportunity to manage them. Dean, I know you're a, a proponent of environmental goods and is a recent winner of the Environmental Stewardship Award through the Canadian Cattlemen's Association. Can you talk maybe just real briefly around biodiversity species benefit uh, by group pasturing or the community pastures themselves? Yeah, so... One of the things that we kind of developed on our farm, just, it just kind of happened naturally. Like if we, there was really no plan, but as, as you learn more, as I say, the more you know, the more you know. But when we uh, 
when I was younger and, and we were clearing land to develop, you know, farmland on our on our farm, we'd take it out of forestry, but there was to make fields, but there was also a lot of little pockets of oh, maybe wetter areas or, or they just didn't square up, so we left them. And uh, over time, you could see how they really developed into a habitat for creating biodiversity. So you see all forms of wildlife. And the neat thing about it is all the forms of wildlife in the biodiverse habitat also create a nice habitat for cattle. So whether you're wintering cattle outside in the winter or in the summertime when you're looking for some shade, or there's the other possibility too of uh, these areas, like I say, there might be lower areas and we let those develop as wetlands. And then these years we've seen drier conditions than what we're used to because, you know, it just seems that we are getting more extreme weather one way or another, that these wetlands also was the sink for, for holding that moisture. So, you know, if you have your ponds developed near there, then you've got a, a nice slow recharge on your pond. So, so they all go hand in hand in your pasture management and development on that. So Dean mentioned something there that kind of piqued my curiosity and it's around extended grazing. And we, I know we've worked a lot on that on individual farms and I know the pastures uh, have done a lot of work with stockpiling and, and rotation, but you know, I think in general, the pastures are open here in Nova Scotia from about May long weekend through the end of October, early November. Is there an opportunity to extend that season, particularly later, uh, to get us almost to that Christmas feeder sale date? You know, I know some of the pasture climates are a little harsher than others, especially if you, when you get into Cape Breton. So maybe this is a question for Jonathan. Is the risk worth the reward? Are we just as well off sticking to our traditional grazing season from May to October, November? I think the answer is yes, the risk could be worth the reward. Yeah, well, you have to also balance it with uh, some good knowledge and understanding and, and improved uh, or changed management systems. I see a number of challenges depending on how the water systems are set up in, in the pastures. You know, there may be issues with water lines freezing and, uh, you know, that may require some significant investment to overcome that potentially might not make it worth the while to do that kind of work or to extend the pasture season. Having said that, I mean, we're seeing what appears to be warmer and warmer weather every year. And I think there is an opportunity because of that and, you know, to, to extend our pasture season. And even if the weather isn't changing, I, I think we can do it. I guess that the biggest issue is we, you know, the pastures need to look at what the economics of doing that are and, you know, whether or not it makes sense to keep their, their herdsmen in place or whoever is doing the management for them to spend the time, you know, and the number of cattle that, that are going to be on site and the carrying capacity, because obviously as you get later into the fall, you know, the grass growth slows down and, uh, you know, your ability to pasture the same number of cattle changes. The reality, though, is that with the way the pastures are run, you know, most of them see a significant exodus of cattle once the feeder sale season starts in September. So there is reduced pasture pressure from the cattle that remain. And I think that that is the biggest opportunity really to continue on and, and keep cattle there a little bit later. There could be an opportunity, I think, too, like if you stockpiled and left the fewer you had the fewer numbers so that you didn't have the heavy animal impact on it like when the weather got wet but it, 
The other opportunity too is back on farm so that because the producers animals have left the farm all summer, uh, they can set up some areas of extended season grazing on their farm. So when their uh, animals come back from community pasture, then they have the extension of the grazing season, you know, maybe up to Christmas or beyond uh, because they've set their farm up that way because because of the community pasture has allowed them to do that. So if that, that could be an avenue. It might be a spinoff of using the community pasture. That's a great point. And, you know, I, I think to summarize that really quickly, it's about using all of your available pasture in your overall pasture management program, not relying specifically on community pastures or your home pasture to make sure that you have enough to get you through the, the season. So with that, gents, I definitely want to thank you for all your time today, uh, your expertise and the, and the background. And, I, you know, I definitely want to commend, again, the community pasture groups, the Farm Loan Board and the provincial government for uh, recognizing that community pastures are a very valuable asset here in Nova Scotia. Uh, there is high demand for use and particularly the livestock industry uh, is interested in further expansion and development. If anybody's looking for more information on the Nova Scotia community pastures, they can go to novascotia.ca forward slash farm loan uh, and they'll find a community pastures tab there. Uh, and with that, I'll let any closing comments go to you folks. It's not unprecedented, but it's certainly unprecedented in recent history, the, the, the commitment that's being shown to community pastures and, and really part of the challenge goes out to the industry to utilize that. Uh, it's a resource that's there. It's seen as one that's viable and, and, and makes a lot of sense in terms of growing the industry, getting new entrants and, and really a big part of that challenge falls to producers to, uh, to pick up the phone and make the call and say, hey, how can I be part of this? And uh, it's an opportunity that, you know, the province is showing, I would uh, say again, almost unprecedented support for, for the community pastures and, uh, and, and growing them and expanding the land base. I'd like to see as many people as possible be part of that. With that, gents, thanks very much for being with us today. Thank you. Good chatting with you. Thank you. Don't want to miss any future episodes? Subscribe to a Maritime Acast today through Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast platform. This concludes another episode of Maritime Agcast. We would like to thank our producer, the Agri-Commodity Management Association, Director Ashley, as well as Matt Whitehour and Micah Dahl-Anderson of ArchesAudio.com for providing the music you heard during this episode. Until next time, happy farming and keep feeding the Maritimes.